0: Welcome to First Baptist Church. You're listening to the preaching ministry of Pastor Sherman Burkhead. Please check us out on the internet at fbcboron.org. First Timothy chapter 1, beginning in verse 12, and the word of the Sovereign Lord reads, I thank him who has given me strength. To save sinners, of whom I am the foremost, but I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever endeavor amen the 19th century evangelist ra tory once wrote to win men to accept to acceptance of jesus christ as savior and lord is the only reason christians are left in this world the beauty of the gospel of jesus christ is its simplicity The call is if you will repent and turn from your sin and put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and make Him the Lord of your life, you will be saved. That is the promise. As the Apostle Paul says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. It is that simple. And it is that beautiful. The sovereign God of the universe, as Matt was talking about, who created all things. One of the amazing things that we hear from today's culture, they look up into the stars, and the more that we see with the telescope, people say, you see, it's even bigger than we imagined. And they say, well, that must mean we can't be the only ones in the universe. I'm saying, you're looking at it from the wrong perspective. What that means is no matter how hard you look, you will never exhaust God's creation around you, which is an indication of just how great He really is. He's greater than we knew yesterday. He's greater than we can possibly imagine. That is the God who made salvation available to you, a sinner. And as we have talked about in Romans, if you believe if you have faith in Christ, then you are saved. Because the gospel is just that. You were justified by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. What a glorious truth. You are not saved because you're religious. You were not saved because you work really hard and keeping all the rules. You're not saved because you torment your own body to beat it into submission. You are saved by the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ. It is that simple. However, there is something beyond that truth that we need to know. Something that we need to accept and understand and live by. And that truth is this. You are not saved simply for you and your benefit. Now, as strange as that might seem to some of you, that's the foundational truth I aim to convince you of over the next several weeks. As we take a short break from Romans and as we prepare ourselves for the opportunities that, that are coming this fall and in this winter to share the hope of Christ that we have with the community around us, it is my goal to convince you of this truth that you were not simply saved for you, and not only that is my goal to help you to take action based on that truth. It is my mission these coming weeks to help you see that you were not saved simply just so that you can sit around being saved. You were saved for something more, something bigger. And then I want to help you, once you understand that and know that, to make a decision to be all in for the mission of Christ not just a little bit committed, not just somewhat committed, not just partially committed, but completely committed to be all in for the mission that Christ has called all of us to be a part of. Because the fact is God did not rescue you simply for you to spend the rest of your life ignoring all of those around you who still need rescue. William Booth says this, Not called, did you say? Not heard the call, I think you should say. Put your ear down to the Bible and hear him bid you go and pull sinners out of the fire of sin. Put your ear down to the burdened, agonized heart of hum- humanity and listen to its pitiful wail for help. God, stand, go stand by the gates of hell and hear the damned entreat you to go tell their friends their father's household, to bid their brothers and sisters and servants and masters not to come there. Then look Christ in the face whose mercy you have professed to obey and tell him whether you will join heart and soul and body and circumstance in the march to publish his mercy to the world. You were not saved just for you. Now, please, don't get me wrong here. Because yes, God does love you individually. We are told that God, we're told in Romans that God showed his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And yes, God wants a personal, upfront relationship with you, a relationship that you were created for. We are reconciled by God, by the finished work of Christ on the cross. Christ, yes, died for you. And yes, Jesus came into the world in order to walk in your shoes and to identify with you. And he lived the perfect life that you individually couldn't live. And he died on the cross to pay a sin debt that you personally could not pay. And he gives you individually the righteousness you need to be in relationship with God. But a righteousness that you could never earn on your own. And yes, Jesus did all of that for you. Jesus lived and died for you. You can take hope in that you can take comfort in that, praise the Lord that Jesus paid it all for you. But your salvation is not just about you. You're not saved simply for you. If there is a truth that seems to be lost in the American culture, is a truth that somehow it's more than just about ourselves. We've been raised to believe that that our lives are all about us. I mean, we as Americans, we're individuals. We've talked about this before. We prize individualism. We believe, many people believe that we are autonomous creatures. I mean, you hear this expression all the time, especially now in politics. There's a lot of talk about being autonomous. I have... Autonomy over my life. I have bodily autonomy. We believe that we are a law unto ourselves, that we are autonomous on our own. We believe that our lives are about, then because of that, our feelings and desires and wants and choices. But, and guess what? That's the culture around us. That's the given assumption. Even with, within the marketplace. What do company is always trying to tell you. It's about you. You deserve a break today, right? And we're led to believe it's all about us. That, you know, Your job is about you. Your, your home is about you. Your car is about you. Your relationships are about you. Your hobbies are about you. Your spare time is all about you. Even your money is about you. And so the naturally, we, we, because of this worldview, we connect the dots and we think that salvation then must be about us. Why not? We're pretty awesome, right? God's, you know, God's blessed to have us, right? But it's not just about you. Again, you benefit greatly from your salvation. Yes, God wants to be in relationship with you individually. What a huge benefit it is to be at peace with God, as we've talked about in Romans. And yes, what a blessing that the God of heaven knows your name and he knows the number of hairs on your head. Some of you have more than me, but that's okay. God knows your worries. God knows your heart. He knows your desires. He knows what you're going through. What a great benefit to have a relationship with God that knows that. So yes, God loves you and He saved you and He cares for you and He's with you. But you were not brought into right relationship with God by the blood of Christ simply just for your own benefit. It was also for something More. You see, your relationship with God is, if it was mainly about you, and this is the thing I think we need to come to terms with. If it was just about you, then it becomes a very easy thing to begin to live for you. You become the center of your life. God fulfilling your wishes and desires becomes the center of your life. But here's the thing as special and as amazing and as precious and wonderful as all of you are, you were too small of a thing to live for. Even the greatest dreams and desires you might have are too small of a thing for you to live for. And I don't want you to take offense to of that. I don't want you to be offended by that. But the truth is, you are too small of a thing for to live for. Even your Family is too small of a thing for you to live for. As important as that is, because you were created by God in the image of God to live for something more than just you. You were meant to live for something greater. You were created for something more. You were created to live for something More, And that something more is God and his glory. You were created for God and his glory and his purposes. That is the truth. If you remember, our catechisms ask the question, what is the chief end or what is the purpose of man? And the answer isn't man's chief end is to be really, really happy in this life. The answer is, man's chief end, his purpose, is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. You were created by God, for God, and his glory and his purpose. That is why you were created. That is why you were saved. And that's why you were rescued. You were saved by God because you belong to him. And for his glory, because everything that God does, he does ultimately for his glory. And you were saved for His purposes because God always has a purpose and a plan for everything He does. Ultimately, that means, yes, there is a plan for you. There is a wonderful plan for your life as sometimes we're often told. It's just not all about you. So God has a purpose for you. He has brought you into the family for a purpose. He has brought you into a church family for a purpose a purpose greater than your own life, which is what this sermon series is all about. In this series, we're going to explore the plan and the purpose that God has for saving the life of someone like you. Now, I'm going to be right up front and tell you why God saved you and what that purpose and that plan that God has for you is. But because the truth is, this is the part of us, as many, as many Christians, we tend to get tripped up over Because when we hear that God has a purpose for us, we typically naturally think in terms of our individual lives. We think about our personal plans. Oh, you mean God has a a, a plan and a purpose for me? Great. I have a plan and a purpose for me too. I wonder if it's God's plan for me to buy this house. I wonder if it's God's plan for me to buy this car. I wonder if it's God's plan for me to marry this person or to start a new diet. I wonder if it's God's plan for me to take a vacation. I wonder if it's God's plan for me to buy a lottery ticket today so that maybe I might win the lottery. When we hear that God has plans for us, we tend to think in the immediate terms of our lives and ourselves and our own wants and desires. And and, and please, don't misunderstand. We should always seek God's will in every, every, every area of our life. You should prayerfully, continually ask God, what would you have me do in my marriage? What would you have me do in this situation? What would you have me do with my family? What would you have me do with my finances? What would you have me do with my time off or at work or at school? Everything we do should be done mindful of God's will for our lives, as we're told. In 1 Corinthians 10.31, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. But we also need to understand God has a clear, overarching plan for our lives. A plan that He has made clear in Scripture. A plan that should influence everything else in our lives. A God-given purpose that should shape everything else in our lives. And, And for some reason, many of us Christians will miss it. Many of us don't see it. And because of that, we don't walk in it. We don't live out the plan and the purpose that God has for our redeemed lives. Well, today, my hope is to change that. My hope is that we can come to a place to clearly see God's purpose for all of us and not only see it, but we would embrace it and then live in it. So what is this plan? The overarching purpose of your redeemed life, the reason God saved you, is so that you can glorify God by fulfilling the mission of Christ in your individual sphere of influence. That is the plan. God's plan is for you to join the mission of Christ. That is the plan. That you would glorify God by fulfilling the mission that Christ, right, that He started on earth, that He commissioned us with, that you would fulfill that mission in the immediate world around you. Notice I didn't say you need to go to Zambia to do this. That's a different call. But all of us are called to the same plan, to glorify God by fulfilling the mission of Christ in our individual sphere of influence. That's the reason why he redeemed you. You were saved to be on mission for Christ in your everyday life. You were saved to be all in for the mission of Christ. Christ has a mission to accomplish here on earth, and we were all individually called to be part of that. You see, we are not just beneficiaries of God's redemption. We're also called to be participants in it. By His grace, we are granted that. You were called to be involved in God's continuing redemptive activity here on earth. You were called to be on mission. And that is what this series is about. You and I being on mission for Christ right where we live. And in this series, we're going to answer four important questions. Number one, what is the mission of Christ? If we haven't already talked about that. Number two, why am I called to the mission of Christ? Number three, where is the mission of Christ taking place? And then number four, how do I get involved in the mission of Christ? I mean, what am I supposed to do? And so we're going to take the next few weeks and explore these questions together. And, and, and let me be honest, it's going to take a little bit to unpack all of this, right? And, and so we're not going to answer all of these questions today. Otherwise, we could be here four hours. I'm cool with that, but I know you guys will probably get hungry. We won't answer all these questions today because there's a lot to talk about, so we will explore these as we go. Today, we can begin to answer the first question. What is the mission of Christ? What is it that Christ came to accomplish in this world? Well, we can find that mission clearly articulated in the text today. So turn with me again to 1 Timothy uh, chapter 1, and we're going to go right to verse 15. And I want you to pay careful attention to what Paul writes here. He says, the saying is trustworthy and deserving a full acceptance. means it's true. you need to accept it. That Christ, Jesus, came into the world to bring peace on earth." No, that's not what he said. Christ Jesus came in the world so that you can live a pain-free no, that's not what it says. Christ came in the world to save sinners. That's the mission of Christ. It's as clear as it can be. That is why he came. God the Father in eternity past decreed to redeem a people for Christ. And Christ in eternity past agreed to pay for their redemption, and the Holy Spirit agreed to apply that redemption to them. That has been always the plan. It's always been about the redemption of God's people. Jesus came into the world to save sinners. He came into the world to rescue sinners. That is his mission. Even Jesus says as much. Luke chapter 19, verse 10. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Matthew chapter 18, verse 11. For the Son of Man is come to save that which is lost. Jesus came to save Sinners. The overarching purpose of Jesus' redemptive work is that mission right there, rescuing the lost. And this is important for us to understand as individuals and the church, because despite what you will hear in many places in our country, Jesus didn't come to make people rich. The prosperity gospel is a pariah in the world, He didn't come to make you rich. He didn't come so that all people would live a pain-free, problem-free life here and now. That's just never been the promise. He didn't come so that people would, would never struggle. In fact, Jesus in His own words said that in this life, you will have trouble. You will experience tribulation. And He didn't come so that we would, that we would always be nice to each other. <laughs> he didn't come to bring world peace either. Not just yet. And he didn't come so that you and I would feel better about who we are and live lives that were always affirmed and never have doubts and never have worries and never experience anything negative anymore. That's not why Jesus came. Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Jesus came to solve the greatest problem of all of humanity. And that is the awful and terrible wrath of a holy and righteous God towards those who rebel against him. That's the greatest problem that any human being can face. It's it's a problem that's infinitely worse than being broke. And I'm telling you, being broke is is a horrible problem. It ain't the worst, that's right. It's worse than being alone. Some people prefer to be alone, but that's a different story. It's worse than losing all of your loved ones at once. As tragic as that would be. It's worse than being rejected by all those that you love and respect. It's worse than cancer. It's worse than depression. It is a problem worse than even death itself. In fact, death might feel welcome and a momentary respite compared to the wrath of God against those who are under his judgment. The worst that we can possibly face is a life. The worst that we can possibly face in this life is nothing compared to the wrath of a holy God. That's the greatest problem every human being has hanging over their heads. The truth that they will one day die, as we all will. And regardless of how awesome our lives are, regardless of how we feel like we're really, really, really good people, regardless of how hard we work to try to to make up for our own iniquities, Everyone will stand before a holy and righteous God who demands a perfect, righteous life without blemishes, and they will all be found guilty. And not just of falling short on a few points, right? This is the thing that sometimes people get, you mean God's going to send me to hell because I didn't do something right? No, it's not because you just fell short out of a couple of points. It's because we willfully rebelled against God. They're guilty of knowing the truth about God, as Paul says in Romans, but suppressing the truth in unrighteousness. They will be guilty of denying God His rightful worship while worshiping all manner of created things. They will be found willfully guilty of sinning against a holy, just, and righteous God. And God, because of His justice, will rightly give them what they deserve. An eternity separated from him in the darkness and torment of hell. A prospect so horrible that people don't even want to hear that about that anymore. Even churches don't even want to talk about that anymore. But it's the greatest problem hanging over everyone's head, the fact that they are an enemy of God who will see justice done. And that time is ticking away that's the problem Jesus came to solve. He came to save sinners. His death on the cross, as horrible as it was, paid the debt of our sin. His perfect life was credited to us so we could be righteous. His resurrection proves that sin and death has been conquered and that Jesus is all that he claimed to be and that he can do what he promised to do, which is what? Save us from our sins. He came to save us, sinners. Now understand, right? Please hear me. I'm not saying that there are not other gigantic benefits that come from us having a relationship with, with Christ. I'm not saying that there isn't other great things that come because Jesus came to the earth, because there are. Jesus came to save sinners, and as such, he dealt with our sin problem, and by doing that, he made it possible for us as we've been talking about in Romans, to break free from the bondage to sin. If you remember, we've been in Romans chapter 6, and that is the point that Paul's making over and over and over again. If you're in Christ, you're free from slavery of sin. You don't have to be controlled by sin anymore because of what Christ has done. And because of that, He's made it possible for us to break free of addiction. He's made it possible for us to break free of toxic relationships that define us and shape us. He has made it possible for us to break free from cycles of bad decisions and bad habits. And through the blood of Christ and by the washing of the water of the word, we can experience the renewed life here and now. Because God can restore and does restore even our relationships God restores families. God restores marriages. He restores friendships. Kim and I were just talking about the other day how how she and I have no reason to ever doubt that God can restore any relationship because we've seen it with our own eyes time and time and time again where we have thought there is no way that that's ever going to get fixed. To see just a few years later intimacy restored in family members and friends that was never possible from a human level. Christ can also bring about great joy here and now as we experience His life-giving love and His strength for today and His presence that we we experience this side of eternity. And He can help us to grow in wisdom, to make better choices. That's what the book of Proverbs is, is all about. And so, yes, there are gigantic benefits that come as a result of Jesus coming to the earth. But understand, all of those things are the byproduct of Jesus' mission to save sinners. And that is the mission that you were saved for. You were saved to get involved in Christ's redemptive work here on earth. You were brought from death to life so you can be involved in the mission to bring others from death to life. You're the beggar who is given food who then goes out to find other beggars to show them where the food is. As John Wesley said, you have one business on earth to save souls. And so you were not simply saved for you. You were saved to be on Christ's mission to save the lost. Now, when it comes to this point, we can come to the place where we understand this truth. We can hear it. We can say, I hear the truth. But then many of us will then find a reason to push back against the truth for our own personal reasons. And I I know that's to be true because I've pushed back on this truth many times in my own life because the idea of being on mission for Christ can be overwhelming. Because who am I? Right? Right? Who am I of all people to go out and try to go into the world and tell people about Jesus? Who am I to try to work to save souls? I mean, I've been such a horrible person in my life. I've done horrible things. In fact, even now, I still mess some stuff up. Even now, there are things that that slip out of my mouth that shouldn't slip out of my mouth. Even now, I'm I'm not always nice to people. So who am I? I'm too broken to be used this way. I'm I'm too broken to be effective in sharing the hope of Christ. I'm unworthy. We feel oftentimes that we are unworthy to be on mission for Christ. Maybe you don't just feel unworthy. Maybe you're just like, I just can't do it. I'm not equipped for this. There's no way that I can share the hope of Christ with other people. There's no way that I can help to save souls for other people. I mean, you want me to clean floors? Let me clean floors. I'll do that. You want me to paint some trim? Great. You want me to proofread your bulletins, pastor, so you don't mess, because I do misspell some words sometimes. Time? I can do that too. But please, I can't do this. I mean, I can work every day and I can even like tithe every week. I can even help you share posts on Facebook. I can do all of that, but I can't do this business of saving souls. I can't share the gospel. I can't talk to people about Jesus because I'm just not equipped for that. Maybe you don't just feel unworthy or unequipped. Maybe you're just like, I'm just not convinced. Maybe you're like, you know, I don't think that's actually what I'm called to do. I I mean, I love Jesus and I love my church family, but I was not called to share the gospel. That's not my gifting. I'm not an evangelist. I'm gifted in other ways. And God does not want me, you know, working outside of my gifting. So I'm unconvinced that this is what I'm called to. I'm unconvinced that this is the calling on my life to be on mission for the saving of souls. And so many of us push back against this idea. Again, either feeling unworthy or unequipped or unconvinced. Well, fortunately for us, Paul in this text addresses all three of these objections. Look with me again to verse 12. Paul writes, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he has judged me faithful, appointing me to his service though formerly I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, and insolent opponent. I want you to see what Paul says here. God has appointed me to his service. He has called me to do what I do, and I'm doing that and being a part of the mission, even though I was a blasphemer, a person who profaned the name of God, a persecutor, a person who jailed and murdered Christians because of their faith, and an insolent opponent. This word insolent actually means violent. And so what Paul is saying is that that he he was a violent opponent of God's people. He hurt people. He hurt and killed Christians. In fact, I want you to notice it says, I received mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief and the grace of the Lord overflowed from me. With the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. In other words, of whom I'm the worst kind of sinner, the chief of sinners. Now, what you need to understand what Paul is saying here, not only is Paul a sinner, he makes a point to tell us that he's the worst kind. Not only is he violent, not only is he in rebellion to God, he actually was all of those things as a religious extremist. He was violent and hateful and destructive all in the name of God. This is really the worst kind of blasphemy. When you do evil, not just in your own name, but in the name of God. In fact, that is, if we read in Exodus chapter 20, you will find the Ten Commandments. And in verse 7, you'll find the fourth commandment. It said, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will, hold, will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Now, many people, when they hear that, they think what this text means is you, you shouldn't speak God's name in an inappropriate way. You shouldn't use God's name with a cuss word. I don't have to say that. You guys know what I'm talking about. You shouldn't use God's name in a way that's cavalier. An expression. And understand, you shouldn't use the Lord's name inappropriately. I want to be very clear. But that's not really the essence of the text. Because the word take in Hebrew, in Exodus, is nasah. And this word actually means to physically lift or to carry or to bear. And the idea behind this commandment is you're not to bear or carry the lord's name in vain. You're not to advance the lord's name in vain. In other words, you better not be doing things that are evil in the name of God. That's the essence of that command. That is why this particular commandment has such a strong warning against it. That's what it says, you shall not take the name of the lord your god in vain, for the lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. God's not going to strike you with a lightning bolt if you accidentally say the things that you're not supposed to say. The idea is that you better not do evil things in the name of God. And that's the kind of sinner Paul was. Not only did he do great evil, he did evil in the name of God. He thought he was serving God by his persecution. He thought he was working on behalf of God to violently kill these people. Now, I don't know everything there is to know about all of you and your history and your past. I know that you've all done things in your life that you're not proud of. I'm sure that you've done some things that that are really egregious. Right? But I don't know everything you've done, but what I do know is this. You have not, as far as I know, you have not persecuted and murdered Christians in the name of God. For all the things that you have done, all of the sins that you've committed, you have not persecuted and murdered Christians in the name of God. I mean, I'm sure you have lied and cheated and maybe have had lustful thoughts about someone who's not your own spouse. I'm sure some of you may have committed adultery in your life at some point. Some of you have wrestled with drunkenness. And some of you have hurt people that you love deeply. Some of you may have even betrayed someone that was close to you. I'm sure most of us have gossiped at least once, 1,000 or million times. And all of you have turned your back on God at different points in your life. Right? But you've not done what Paul has done. <laughs> the point that he's making here is if Paul can be used by God, then anyone can be used by God, including you which helps us to understand the truth. That no one is so broken and so sinful that God cannot use them. No one. God can use the worst of us for his mission. If God can use Paul, he can certainly use you. Even if you feel completely unworthy. Because the truth is we are all unworthy. That's why it's called grace. None of us are really worthy of this mission, but that's the beauty. God uses broken vessels. God uses imperfect people to pour out his life-giving truth to a broken world. God uses broken people so other broken people can see and relate. That's part of the mission. So God does not leave you unworthy. And neither does he leave you unequipped. Look at verse 12 again. Paul says, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he has judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief, and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Paul was certainly unworthy. But Christ changed that by rescuing him from his sin. And Paul certainly was unequipped, but God strengthened him, appointed him, and gave him the mercy and grace and faith and love that he would need to do what God was calling him to do. The thing that you need to realize is you don't bring to the table the things that you need to do what God calls you to do because you don't even have it in you. But Christ, when He comes into your life, He He is the one who gives you strength. Christ is the one who gives the appointment. Christ is the one who provides the mercy and the grace and the faith and the love that you're going to need in order to do for Him what He's called you to do on mission for Him. It's the truth that God doesn't call the equipped. He equips those who are called The truth is God is not going to call you to a mission without equipping you to do that mission. Which means whether you believe it or not, whether you want to accept it or not, and whether you like it or not, God has called you and He has equipped you to be on mission to save souls right where you are in the sphere of influence that He's placed you in. It doesn't matter how shy you are. It doesn't matter how uneducated you feel. It doesn't matter how inarticulate you are, God has equipped and will continue to equip you so that you can do your part to be on mission to save souls. You just simply need to believe Him and be all in. You and I and all of us collectively need to stop making excuses and stop telling ourselves that we can't do this. We need to tell ourselves we can. We just need to come before the Lord and say, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, I will do this. Yes, Lord, I will sell out and do my part for the redemptive work of Christ. I will be all in. You just need to commit yourself to surrender into the hand of God because God will equip you for what he calls you to. But maybe you're still unconvinced. Maybe saving souls and being on mission in your mind, is only for a select few people who are set aside for that, like evangelists. Well, let me draw your attention to one more thing that Paul says. This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost, but I receive mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost, Christ Jesus might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life hear what Paul is saying he has given me mercy he was given mercy by God for a reason and that reason is not simply to to redeem Paul that reason was not simply for Paul to be you know to turn him into a good guy who doesn't hurt Christians anymore the reason was to demonstrate for the world around Paul that there is a God and he is alive and he's on mission to save souls even the worst ones Paul's transformed life became a vivid example for everyone who would believe in Christ Jesus through Paul's part in the mission of Christ. You were saved for a reason. You were redeemed for a purpose. And that purpose is that that through you and through your transformed life, right where you are in your family, in your community, in your workplace, that the light of Christ can shine through you. And that through your transformed life, God and His power can be seen by those that you come in contact with. That's why Jesus says, you were the light of the world. A city set on, what? A hill. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. You were not saved to sit quietly in the darkness hidden from the rest of the world. You were saved because through you, God can shine His light for the world that is around you. You were saved graciously by a Creator the creator of the universe through his atoning sacrificial death of his son on a cross because he loves you and because through you he can touch and change and reach people in your life, those people that you have contact with. God wants to pour out his grace and his mercy for the world through you individually. You were saved for something greater than your own life. You were saved for something more than your own happiness. You were saved for something bigger and more important and more earth-shattering than all of your own personal ambitions combined. You were, I was, we were saved to be on mission for Christ. And the question that you need to ask yourself today is this. Are you all in? Are you sold out? Will you say, yes, Lord? Will you do what God calls you to do? Will you go where God calls you to go? That's the question that you need to answer, whether or not that you are committed to following where Christ is leading. Now, if you are, praise the Lord. I'm excited to be on this journey with you because we as a church are on a mission for Christ together. We've been praying about this for years. And we're going to learn a lot more about this in the coming weeks and how we can then take this theology and then put it into action in the world around us. So if you are on mission, then praise the Lord. I'm excited to work with you. But if you're not, if you're like, I don't know, Pastor then do me a favor. You need to examine your heart this week and just ask yourself why. Now, you don't have to tell me, but I just want you to then just really get alone with God and ask yourself why. I mean, you were brought into a relationship with God for a reason, and we know that the Scriptures make that that reason very clear that we are all involved or to be involved in the business of Christ and we're saved to be a part of God's redemption redemptive mission, why would you not be all in? And the thing is, I don't have the answer for you individually. What I would hope is that you would see that the Scriptures remove the objection of being unworthy or unequipped or unconvinced. So I'd ask this week, prayerfully, that you would go before the Lord and and ask him to open your heart. Why would you not be in for the life-saving mission of Christ that brought you into the kingdom? And then bring those thoughts and those insights and those questions with you for the next few weeks as we continue to explore what it means individually and as a church family to be on mission for Christ. Now, before, before I close, I want to extend an invitation. And the reason why I extend an invitation continually is because I never will presume to be the heart, the judge of the heart of man. And then invitation is maybe you're someone who's like, you know, I don't have an idea about this mission, but I've come face to face with the fact I really don't even know Christ. Maybe you're someone who, who's not a believer, maybe you've never really put your faith in Christ, but today you hear the gospel, you've heard the words of the gospel that you can be saved through Christ. And you're ready now to have your sins forgiven. If you're ready to have your greatest problem solved and walk in the new life of freedom, although you don't understand this whole mission business that we're talking about, If that is you and you're ready to trust in Christ, I would ask you to come see me after the service or if you're really shy, call the office. I'd be happy to talk with you one-on-one or you can catch Pastor Hugh. He'd love to talk with you. You can also talk to the deacons. You can talk to Matt. There are many, many Christians in in this church family who would be happy to walk with you and help you to see what it means to repent and believe the gospel. But in that church family, this is the mission that we're all called to. This is the mission that Christ has enlisted us in. And yes, Christ loves us individually. He values us individually. He saves us individually. But he didn't save us simply just to be us and Jesus in our Bible. He saved us to be part of a broader redemptive work a work that He is doing right now, that's going on right now to seek and save the lost. There are people in your individual lives that I will never be able to talk to. There are people in your individual lives that will not listen to a sermon on YouTube, no matter how many of them you send to them. You know, they just won't do it. There are people that you can talk to and love and share the hope of Christ with that no one else can reach. God, has ordained you for this purpose. Let us commit ourselves to walk in this as a church family together, to storm the ga- gates of hell, to seek and save that which was lost. All for the glory of God. You've been listening to the preaching ministry of Pastor Sherman Burkhead, a production of First Baptist Church in Boron, California. Our website address is fbcboron.org. And would you please consider partnering with us financially as we work to share the hope and the gospel of Jesus Christ with our community and our world.